I was born in Texas and lived there until I was five, and then we moved to France. So I was born in Korea, uh, in Busan. When I was four years old, uh, we moved to New Zealand for like a year or two for my parents' training, and then after that we moved. Um, so I was born in California, I was raised there, and I've only lived in Germany. And then when I was 18 months old, we moved to Rome for like six months, and then we moved to Naples, Italy, where I lived for almost nine years. And then we moved again to more of the Tuscany region. Me and my family moved down to Guinea. We lived there for 10 years. Then I moved to Senegal, the capital city of Senegal, Dakar. Lived there for four years. Then we moved to France, lived there for a year and a half. Where do you feel most yourself? Probably with, like, at home with my family or with my other, like, missionary friends. Um, especially the ones I've grown up with. Yeah, I think I feel most at home when I'm with them because they've kind of all been there through all the different stages, I guess, of my life. <laughs> home is wherever family is, but I think also different people can be considered family as well, like people that love you and care for you. For example, my dorm here, I consider them family as well, and so this can be a home for me. I definitely think of my my family because I feel like home you try to like look for a place where like you're most comfortable so I feel like home is like where my family is the people Before we get into this podcast, I want to share some of the heart behind why we're talking about these things. A lot of these topics, especially as we go through comparing MKs and TCKs and uh, single culture kids, all of these things can bring out um, a lot of comparison, occasionally a lot of negativity, and it's something that is very much on our hearts because of the need for helping MKs and TCKs often integrate back into their passport culture in a way that is healthy. We all have that experience of, well, in my old school or, oh, in the old town that I used to live, a lot of these memories that we have and a lot of these experiences that we have by nature of comparison can come across as either judgmental or um, just, just negative. And that is something that is very much on BFA's heart and it's very much on our hearts as alumni of helping see the positive in regardless of what culture you are in helping as these seniors graduate and others move on from BFA to ask good questions to seek community wherever they are and help them integrate into the community that God has brought them into so just wanting to share some of our desire for where this conversation will go um, and wanting to be very purposeful about not just highlighting the negatives or the positives but sharing this is what life is like and hopefully we can integrate all these things into living out the body of Christ in a way that is honoring. So I'm Michelle Phoenix. I have I go back with BFA a long ways. When I was an MK growing up in France, my parents decided in ninth grade that this might be a good place for me, so I came to BFA as a student all the way back in 1982. And I graduated from here in 1986, 
BFA was a really formative piece of my life. It was the first time that I was around MKs my age, my peers, who were very much like me in a lot of ways and very much different in other ways, but it's the ways in which we were similar that were most important to me. And after graduating from BFA, I went back to college in the States for a while uh, with a chip on my shoulder that prevented a lot of good things from happening while I was there. And uh, Mm. I worked as a screenwriter for a year after college, communications degree. And after that, was unemployed for about six months. And at that point, I wrote to BFA and asked them if I could just meet with the director when I was flying back over here on a very cheap ticket, $300 round trip ticket, Mm -hmm. which an unemployed person (laughs) would love, right? Those were the days. Um, So I came back to BFA. My parents lived in France, and we actually commuted back and forth when I was a student. So I was in France with them for a couple weeks and met the director. He was, I think, the principal at the time, George Durant's. And um, this was supposed to be just a friendly get-together, and by the time he was done with me, I'd signed on to come back to BFA and work Mm. in the communications department. Mm. So Mm. I raised support, as we all do, and six months later, came back and um, was called into HR on the first day I was here. And they said, um, well, we're, we're glad you're here. We're glad that you came to work with communications, but you were pretty good in English in high school, weren't you? <laughs> I know the way these things work. I wasn't very confident when I said, uh, yeah. They said, well, we need a new English teacher for 12th grade, so we think you'd be perfect. And then the next questions were, and you were in this cool play, right? Well, we could use a play director, and oh, you kind wow. of enjoy singing, right? So how about <laughs> taking on a choir after school every day? And so I never set foot in the communications department, and I came for a year, stayed for 20, um, and my role expanded and was different every year, but Mm. the best years of my life. Mm. Wow, and what year was it that you left BFA after having taught here? I think it's 2010. I went on home assignment, my first year-long assignment. I had this inkling that maybe I was moving on to other things, Mm -hmm. and I loved BFA and the students and the place and my job so much that I couldn't just unlatch and leave. So I gave myself that year uh, back in the States to kind of round out who I was and what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. And then with that distance, was able to make the, dis- the decision mm-hmm. to leave. Mm-hmm. Hardest decision. Yeah. But a good one. Did you notice any difference between when you were a student and then coming back as a staff? I know this is a while ago. It was a while ago. But... That that was our experience. I know for Nathan and yeah, coming back sure. to work after having mm-hmm. been students. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything to say about that? Well, the students just kind of roll with it. Yeah. Right. I mean, the school has its its parameters, and you live within them, and you study and do life. And once you come back on staff, you start to see behind the scenes, behind the curtain, what goes on, and what goes into the rules and the parameters. And um, I think that step back allowed me to see what MKness is a little bit more clearly rather mm. than being the MK doing high school to be able to observe and mentor. And I worked in the dorms and did a lot in my home hosting MKs over there. So, um, mm. yeah, that step back really allowed me to, I think, understand and explore what MKness is mm. more clearly than when I was just mm. kind of stewing in it. Mm. Michelle, so much of, of what you do is regarding missionary kids, MKs, and uh, third culture kids, TCKs. Um, after this many years of working with that, what would you, if you had to put it in a little bit of a box in a couple words, what is MKness? What <laughs> What is that to you? And I, It's a big topic, but... It is. It's a huge topic. Um, I think it would be, I think my definition would be living a complex life built on a complex foundation 
that has so much great stuff in it and a few challenges that go along with it too and trying to muddle through and find our place in a world that is not as complex as we are. Hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I can tell you're a writer. That's <laughs> <laughs> very concise <laughs> and very well put. So after BFA, yeah. you've gone on now to um, be an author mm-hmm. and um, produce, well, you could probably say what you do well, much better than I could. <laughs> um, but yeah, what have you gone on to do as far as with the curriculum you've been writing and all the MK ministry you've been doing? Give us a little insight um, into what you're doing now. Yeah. So one of the reasons I left BFA was that I felt like my lifetime as an MK and then those 20 years mentoring MKs here had equipped me for maybe a broader footprint in the MK world. It all actually started with, in 2008, I was diagnosed with my uh, first form of cancer. And as a result of that, after treatment and everything, I woke up one morning in this beautiful space, (laughs) surrounded by the Black Forest, Mm. and I had this sense that maybe it was time for me to leave. And MKs tend to be uh, changeophobes or changeophiles. We love to change or we hate change. And I'm one of those hate change people, MKs. And so that that inkling was at the back of my mind was significant to me because it's not something that naturally would cross my mind. So, um, and I think God used that cancer to say, if you only have one or two years left, and thankfully I've had more than that, but if you only have one or two years left, how do you want to use them? And what impact do you want to have? Mm. And so... Um, so I made that decision to leave, and, um, and I have seen that footprint expanding in really beautiful, unexpected ways. So what I do now is, is very complex, which is actually suitable for an MK. Mm. I do a lot of speaking, uh, pre-field orientations for missions, including Teach Beyond, which was a founding member of BFA. Um, missions invite me to speak at their on-field conferences. I was just at one in France last week with a bunch of young families who had never had any MK education, so mm. I love that. Um, a lot of writing. My website is full of articles. There's um, a tab that says MK articles. If you click that, there are probably 60 articles I've written on specific topics related to MKs. MKs in relationships, MKs in faith, MKs and calling, um, trying to address issues that haven't been historically addressed very well or mm-hmm. very clearly in the mm-hmm. MK world. And then I do a lot of hosting in my home of MKs and missionary families coming through. More and more, it's Skype conversations and consulting with families wherever they are um, in the world. And then you mentioned writing. That's really something I do in the margins. That's the fun stuff. That's my retirement plan as a single older woman. We have to think in terms of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of fun writing novels, initially for Tyndale, two novels with Tyndale, and now with HarperCollins, um, Mm. the last two in the upcoming novel that comes out in July. Wow. So excited. I just finished um, Of Stillness Mm -hmm. and Storm, um, and it just really blew my mind as far as coming from my context as a missionary kid, um, having friends uh, that are missionary mm-hmm. kids and that have had all different experiences growing up mm-hmm. in that world of parents who have to balance ministry and family. And in this book in particular, it's more worst-case scenario. It is. It's a cautionary tale. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just telling of how steeped you've been Mm-hmm. in this world and I can just tell because because I know you mm-hmm. how many conversations you've mm-hmm. had with MKs good and bad mm-hmm. um, and just compiled um, these this knowledge that you've mm-hmm. gained into this story mm-hmm. that is so eye-opening mm-hmm. and and cautionary as far as 
the way that we sometimes idolize missions yeah. mm-hmm. and place it above our family. Yeah. Um, and I've seen it happen. Yeah. That's the sad part. And it's by no means is it, uh, you know, the general way things work out. But in those cases where families, um, parents have kind of been so zealous about their calling that they lost track of their kids in the process, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it just breaks my heart because the kids then, who are they going to blame for this other than the person who called mm-hmm. mom and dad? So mm-hmm. um, I have seen some dysfunction of course, on the mission field, as in anywhere, mm-hmm. the difference with the mission field um, and with the pastorate in general is that if there's going to be blame laid, it's going to mm-hmm. be laid on God because mm-hmm. he's really the originator of everything we've experienced. Mm-hmm. What what does, um, you mentioned MK education. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that usually entail? Um, just give us a little detail on what are the things that you're finding that families need to mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. as they're raising children on the field? Mm-hmm. Um, or even teaching MKs themselves, because I know you do mm-hmm. a lot of um, a lot of camps or yeah. um, things with with missionary kids. Yeah. What are the things that you see are big needs? The first thing I share with parents is that, and, and it sounds negative, but it isn't. It's just a piece of education. Is that they can't fully understand what it is to be an MK growing up between worlds. Mm. And the illustration I use, especially when I go to schools and I'm speaking with younger MKs who are more tactile and visual, is um, I'll give somebody in the class, like a third grader, a jar, and I'll pour red beads into the jar and say, this is the planet mom and dad come from. They come from planet red. And then into the same jar, I'll pour some blue beads, and I'll have that little boy or little girl shake it up as hard as they can. And when they're done shaking it up, you can still see red and blue beads. They're mixed up. But that is the way adults do cross-cultural living if they have been... Uh, if they have a foundation in one culture and add another culture to it, they have more clarity. They can still pick out what belongs where hmm. and which, which pieces shaped them. MKs are more like two balls of Play-Doh. So I give the same kid two balls of Play-Doh, red and blue, and have him mush those up. And when he's done mushing those up, you have this beautiful, complex, and complicated color of purple. Mm-hmm. And that's the way MKs experience cross-cultural living. Mm-hmm. So parents who have just come overseas or who have come overseas a while ago um, still have a clarity that their kids don't have. And the purple is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is a richness that MKs have that monocultural kids don't have. At the same time, it carries with it some confusion and frustration maybe um, on a faith level, on an emotional level, on an identity, cultural identity level that parents can't fully relate to. So a lot of what I see parents doing when they're making small mistakes is they're assuming their kids are processing the way they are. And we can't assume mm-hmm. that because their kids are not. Something that mm-hmm. surprised me, I heard a couple of years ago, uh, because I, as an MK and now currently a missionary, I'm very... Mm-hmm proud of that label because it did define me it turned me very purple and and trying to sort that out but hearing from from kids recently where very averse to being labeled not wanting to be an mk you know don't define me don't tell me what i am yeah and i understand that part as far as even as i my wife and i both process being mks not wanting to be like oh you're an mk you are immediately damaged and broken and weird that's right but at the same time afraid for some of these kids that you have to acknowledge that you were changed whether mm-hmm. you like it or not mm-hmm. is that is that a generational thing is that a have you seen that come across mm-hmm. as far as kids who are rejecting yeah. the idea of being labeled and how does that affect yeah. them being able to process their childhood 
And I think you're exactly right. It's it's the negative label that they're rejecting. Mm-hmm. The the broken MK needs help. There's an organization on American campuses called Mukapa that's specifically yeah, sure. for MKs. Mm-hmm. Um, Wheaton College, for instance, which is the one closest to me, has about 200 MKs on campus, and Mukapa might gather 20 MKs for their gatherings mm. because they don't want that label of oh we need to mm-hmm. be together because we're so different yeah. from everybody. I wasn't else. part of it. When I went to school, I wasn't I, either. I was like, yeah. no way, I'm not, I'm not going to that. that weird group. Exactly. Yeah. The thing is, I think it's it's not so much generational as phase of life old, if I can mm. make up a new term, okay. um, because we're in a high school here, and this is the place where they're trying to establish who they are as mm-hmm. individuals, not as part of a group that's been clearly defined. So at this age, I see, and college um, age, I see a lot of them kind of rejecting the label. Um, and I think you're right, rejecting the label sets them up for not dealing with some of the very manageable differences that we have as MKs. They kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I'm also meeting MKs who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who are finally realizing, oh, a lot of that label actually applied to me. And and I never went to the trouble of figuring it out. And or it's got, a healing thing. It's a healing yeah. thing, yes. Huh. And one of my favorite things is when I'm speaking to a group where there are MKs married to non-MKs who are yeah, mature, sure. and the non-MK is looking at their spouse going, oh, it finally makes mm-hmm. sense. And if only they had, they had unpacked that earlier in mm-hmm. their relationship, there's so much that could have been bridged that mm-hmm. wasn't bridged. Um but I do find that when MKs graduate college and start in the real world, that's where their differences start to really kind of the rubber beats the road. Um, and they start to realize that there are differences there. And usually at that point, they're, again, trying to establish themselves as career people mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they keep putting it off. It's one of the reasons that when I speak to parents at pre-field conferences or whatever, or, or just parents of MKs, um, it's the only time that I tell them, just force your kids to do this, and that's reentry seminar after high school. No MK wants to go to it. Number one, they've just said goodbye to a whole universe overseas, and they don't want to meet new people and say goodbye again. Mm-hmm. Number two, they don't want to be labeled. Number three, they're preparing for college. They don't want to give up a week of their summer. I have yet to meet an MK who goes to a reentry seminar who, after 24 hours, isn't worshiping the ground his parents walk on because they made him go to a place that equipped him better for his future or her future. I expect that they'll leave so in a sense sometimes I try not to go too deeply but also I try to maximize the time we have because I feel like oh transition transition they'll leave or I'll leave so I won't see them for a few years so the time we have together is very important with any relationship I have. I think I like to go deep with people fast like quickly and I um I think I like make friends quickly, and but I'm not dependent on them. Like I can make friends wherever I go, and I don't need those old friendships. I don't know if that makes sense, but it sure does. Yeah. Is it ever a conscious thing? Like, oh, it's because I've moved around so much, or is it like describe that for me? I think I I know that um, wherever I am, it's not permanent, so I can't like base my happiness on that, and I have to be more dependent. And my family, because they're always there. When I talk about home, do you think of a location? What do you you think about? I think of probably my grandparents' house back in Ottawa, Canada, and being there in the summer and stuff. Where do you feel most yourself? Uh, 
on the basketball court. <laughs> Probably. Uh, maybe, like, on missions trips, I feel at peace and doing what I love and meeting new people. And so I, I feel pretty at home, away from home. Michelle, that we forgot to mention is the MK Harbor project that you've been working on. Mm -hmm. It's been a couple years now, is, yeah. right? And um, tell us a little bit more about that, especially for uh, parents of seniors yes. who their kids are graduating this year and moving on to universities. Yeah. Um, the MK Harbor project takes place in the United States and Canada, or all just over in, the world. All over the world. We've got harbors awesome. in Hawaii and different yeah. places in Africa, so, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. So tell us more about how that's mm -hmm. set up and what the purpose mm -hmm. is behind that. Really, it came out of my experience when I moved back to college. I there was nobody there that I knew. I picked Wheaton College because this was the pre-internet days, and there were two college catalogs in the library near which we are now sitting and I picked the one with the prettiest cover so I huh. had no idea why I went to Wheaton except there was a pretty pretty picture on the cover I knew nobody and a woman um, who hired me to clean her house on Wednesday mornings became my harbor she was an American who had never uh, really traveled overseas her name was Barb Holderbaum she's passed away now um, and she decided to take me under her wings so she would pick me up early on Wednesdays ostensibly to clean for her. I would clean for about an hour and a half and she would drive me home at 10 o'clock at night and we would spend the day talking and she would take me shopping and help me figuring out how to go to a doctor or find a doctor in the States and um, she introduced me to so many Americanisms that I wouldn't have discovered in a positive way on my own. Mm. And I realized that a lot of MKs going back to whatever their passport culture is might not have barbs in their life. So about two years ago I started the MK Harbor Project put it out on Facebook, which is where most of my stuff goes out, and asked people who have a heart for MKs if they would like to be harbors, if they would like not to take them in or, or house them for you know their college years. It, it has nothing to do with that, just to be touchstones to MKs in their area. So they fill out um, a form. We vet them through references. Um, and if you go again to my website, michellephoenix.com, michelle with one L, phoenix.com, mm -hmm. um, there's an MK Harbor tab there. And we have, I think, 225 now. I'm That's processing awesome. another 25 um, as we wow. speak. Those are the harbors. The challenge I've discovered, which should not have surprised me, is encouraging MKs to actually reach out for the help. Mm -hmm. Like the Mukapa thing that we were mm -hmm. talking about. We want to be independent. We want to prove that we can do this on our own. And I think it takes a certain amount of either um, desperation or humility for MKs to say, there's this person I don't know who lives in my town. Maybe they can help me with, you know, drivers uh, driving mm -hmm. lessons or um, mm -hmm. figuring out how to get a bank account set up it's hard to ask for help it is so and it's, why it is feels that? shameful and it's and it's stupid to say that mm -hmm. it's, it is. it's it's such an important time and the yeah. idea of if you move to any other yeah. international country that wasn't your passport country yeah you'd ask your that's exactly you know, right Indian neighbor or whatever like hey how do I yeah where do I go yeah but we feel so stuck with this is my country. I don't want to be shameful. I don't want to ask people yeah. what the rules are to American football because yeah. we're sitting here watching and I don't exactly. want to be that weird kid in the corner. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But And yet 
it takes us so much farther forward when oh, we absolutely. do, right? Yeah. My two my two football coaches in the States are two <laughs> older ladies in their 60s and almost 90 who, for my first year there, sat me down every Sunday afternoon and taught me yeah, American football. That's awesome. You know, the Bulls, the Bears, and the yeah. Cubs. I'm from Chicago now. Um, <laughs> but that, that level of humility, yeah. and I think that a lot of MKs, particularly particularly those who are returning to the States, um, have a chip on their shoulder like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of resentment, not just about having to go back, but about the culture itself. I think that kind of breeds in, in places where a lot of MKs like to sit mm-hmm. around and bash the passport culture. Yeah. So they don't have an openness or willingness to adapt mm-hmm. like they would or to ask questions like they would if they were dropped into a tribe in the Amazon mm-hmm. forest. There's just a different approach to that yeah. transition. That mm-hmm. can be such a destructive habit of the MKs getting together and just ripping apart yes. the people that they ran yes. into that week. And I've, I've appreciated that I, I think BFA has done a better job at mm-hmm. being explicit about that. Of, mm-hmm. That's so don't right. do that. These people have just as much depth of, yeah. of experience and character and knowledge. And, yeah. you know, these people are, are very kind. And why are you ripping yeah. into them? Yeah. It's such a terrible thing. But I, I think there's such a, um, a value to families who are on that side whether they're mm-hmm. former missionaries mm-hmm. or just randomly random mm-hmm. friends that I've been invited to where to invite an MK for a holiday yeah. is such a yes. to proactively because they're they're not going to necessarily reach out and say hey I have nowhere to go right. because everybody's gone right. it's that that proactive like hey do you have anywhere to go because yeah. otherwise we'd love to have yeah. you there's a there's a story from from my mom who she's a listener so I'll I'll tentatively say this but <laughs> hi um, mom Hi, Mom. Um, she had a, a Christmas stocking that was kind of an, an older one or whatever, and I asked her where it was from, and she said uh, she grew up as an MK from Africa, and it was a, a family who invited her in where she would go home maybe two every mm-hmm. two or three years. Right. And they invited her in for Christmas, and sorry, I'm like getting choked up about this. This is stupid. Um, they made her... A stocking yep. for them, yep. for their family to That's be a awesome. part of it. Yeah, um, I love that. That's really. Good. It's just a mm-hmm. welcome them into your family. Yep. It's such a beautiful right. thing. Mm-hmm. And that tangible piece that identifies you with the family. Yeah. They're not just saying you're welcome here. They're giving you something that is going to be up there on the mantle with all yeah. the others, yep. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something about about the practical um, aspect of yep. that. That, that breaks be... down all of the presuppositions that MKs yes. have about yeah. going back to the United yeah. States. Because, yeah, they just get fed this, I don't know, whatever they whatever they see in the media or yes. whatever, even, even their parents. Mm-hmm. I feel like we were talking just the other night, Michelle, and you asked me, what can you as a parent do mm-hmm. to not instill this um, superiority mm-hmm. complex yeah. in your kids and yeah i have to be careful yeah. how i talk about yeah. um my passport culture their passport culture because yeah. they they have american passports right. and so um right but yeah it's such a it's such a a humanizing mm-hmm. thing to mm-hmm. experience that as an mk to be invited into mm-hmm. a family's home yeah um the other thing I, I like to point out when i'm speaking with mks is that to look down on people from a culture for not knowing, for instance, what river runs through Paris, 
is the same thing as a person <laughs> with sight looking down at a blind person for not knowing what the color red is. Yeah. The reason that we know what river runs through Paris is that we've been blessed enough to be in Paris or to live in Europe or to fly through Paris and see the river down there. Um, mm -hmm. And so we, we tend to condemn people for not knowing what we know without realizing that, that what we know is a gift from God and from our parents' choice yep. to raise us as MKs. Um, and so instead of thinking that we're special, which can be kind of a gut reaction to knowing so much and meeting people who don't, instead mm -hmm. of thinking we're special, if we think we're blessed, that leads to gratitude mm -hmm. instead of arrogance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the arrogance is just perceived with MKs. They're just talking about their summer vacation when they went to Egypt for three days and they got a Ryanair flight for $50 round trip. So sometimes people mm -hmm. hear that and assume that they're being arrogant. But when I ask adult, young adult MKs if they've ever actually been arrogant in their interactions with <laughs> monocultural people, most of the hands in the room will go up. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's something that we can address. We can address it in mm -hmm. places like BFA, which you say they're doing already, yep. which I love. In families, it can be addressed. And among MKs, it can be addressed. Yep. Just mm -hmm. calling people out and saying, you know what? Not all Americans are what you describe them to mm -hmm. be. Just like not all MKs are whatever, socially inept or, <laughs> you know, stink at money or whatever. Mm -hmm. Those generalizations are never true, but they're really easy to make. Mm -hmm. And they shape our perspective. So we need to be careful. Are you proud to be an MK? Yeah, I am. You are? I am. Why? Because I think it gives me a whole lot of perspective on the world. Hmm. I think I would much, if I had to pick to do it all over again, I wouldn't change anything. I'd still want to grow up where I grew up, and I'd still, yeah, I don't know, I'm proud to be an MK. You feel pretty comfortable, like, wherever you are in the world, just because sometimes it feels like you don't really have a, like a, an exact place that you can call home. And you've met so many people from so many different cultures and stuff, so you're comfortable interacting with them as well, which is uh, definitely uh, an advantage for TCKs, I think. I think the worst thing is probably the fact that whenever we visit for a few months, like in Korea, for example, or back where relatives are and friends and churches, like the hard thing is that the people there uh, don't share the same experiences that you have and so it's harder for them to understand uh, your point of view and, and you realize that as you're talking with them and the more you hang out with them you realize how much your worldview is different from theirs. Michelle, if you had a piece of advice to give um, either a senior or even just a, a parent who is considering going on the mission field or sending their kid away to boarding school for the first time, mm -hmm. uh, if you had a couple nuggets of advice, and you've, you've already said so much, but mm -hmm. um, if there's something that is kind of burning that you wish... To families who are considering known. boarding school? Um, either, either one. Okay. Uh, either people who are trying to figure out their kid who has been here and they come yeah. back home for a break and they yeah. this is not the child that I yes. remember. Yes. Um, what are, what are yeah. ways that they can kind of process through that as yeah. a family? Okay. I'm going to ramble through this. Go answer. for it. No, that's fine. Um, for parents, for families who are considering boarding school for their kids, I'll give the example of my family. My brother was a year and a half older than me. He begged, once he found out about BFA, he begged my parents to send them to boarding school. 
Um, he's very different than than I am in personality, and um, he just wanted to be in a place where there was soccer and um, music, and the French school system wasn't really, they gave him soccer, but the music piece of it, and, and just being around MKs, he begged to come, he came in 10th grade, loved every minute of it, um, just thrived. I came in ninth grade for very different reasons. My parents needed to get some counseling. My mom knows I talk about this, so this is not a secret. Um, and they had to go to England for a year, and they didn't know what to do with Michelle. So Michelle came to VFA. Mm -hmm. I was not able to be in a dorm because the dorms were over full, so I was put in a family quite a bit uh, down the road from BFA and those of you who know the area in Schlingen. Um, and I was here for reasons that I knew were not my own, and I am just not built for boarding school. It wasn't the right solution for me, beyond all the family drama. So my brother thrived. I did not. We were raised in the same family. We come from, you know, the same experiential background, and it just was a totally different level of preparedness for each of us. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I tell to parents is, and it goes both ways. If one of your children loved boarding school and thrived in boarding school, that doesn't mean necessarily the next one will, and vice versa. If the first mm -hmm. one flamed out of boarding school, um, that doesn't mean the next one will. So it needs to be an individual decision that's made. Again, there's an article under MK Articles on my website that helps parents to process through the decision-making mm -hmm. uh, process regarding boarding school, and then that gives some pointers as to how to do long-distance parenting. Um, it has gotten so much easier today than it was in my day. Skype, FaceTime, all of the yeah. above, free communication. Uh, we used to call once a month. We would have about a 15-minute call with my parents because it's all we could afford. So, um, But boarding school can be um, just wonderful. It can be the best possible, possible solution for some families and some children, and we need to be open to the concept that it can also be the worst possible solution mm -hmm. for some families and mm -hmm. some children. Um, even in the same family. Even in the same yeah. family. Yeah. And and I would be wary of organizations that make a blanket statement about all your kids have to go to boarding school or whatever, mm -hmm. or, or all your kids can't go to boarding school. Um, because for some kids it's ideal, and for others it's not. Mm. I've discovered that with speaking with high school seniors who have just trans transitioned back to their passport culture, that the biggest frustration, and I can almost say 100% of the time, is the way North Americans, so this is for MKs, um, who have come from Canada or the United States, the way North Americans do relationships. It is a sticking point that sometimes begins earlier in their lives when they're back on HMA, Home Ministry Assignment, and they're trying to connect with their peers. And this is one item that if they get this in their mind before they transition will make that transition so much easier mm. and less frustrating for them. So here's the scenario. MKs, as you both know, we experience a lot of losses in our lives. We say goodbye to people all the time. Mm -hmm. Even if our family is not so mobile, the world around us is mm -hmm. in the missionary world. So we get used to saying goodbye to people. We enter relationships knowing that one of us is probably going to leave at some point. I was at a school in Nepal a few years ago and with third graders, and we were talking about good ways to say hello and good ways to say goodbye. And this little boy called Ryan with a very strong British accent said, when I meet somebody new, I shake their hand and I say, hi, my name is Ryan and I'm going to be gone soon. So he enters into relationships <laughs> announcing that one yeah. of us is going to be gone. So you, this is what... You told that story at orientation. I and I still did. remember it four yes. years ago and it, it broke my heart because yes. that was exactly what I've, I've done that. And there's yeah. an excellent spoken word. Um, if Do you do liner notes or notes with your podcasts when yeah, you, you yeah, can we do can, links? Yeah, we can include 
websites, okay. links, all those things. I will link you to yeah. a spoken word poem by Caleb that's called I'm Going to Be Gone based on Ryan's story. Mm. That is absolutely okay. mind-boggling. So anyway, so we enter relationships expecting that. And, and that makes us do things differently. We don't gradually go into relationship. We dive deep really fast. If we look at you and think you're the person, you're going to be my friend, we could be separated in a week. Let's make the most of the time we've got. Mm. So really mm-hmm. quickly, we share our deepest, darkest. Um, we become very intensely connected to each other. And that's the way we're used to doing relationships. So if you imagine a graph, we start at the meeting point, we dive deep, and then we, we, we can go up and down from that deep point, but that is the baseline of our relationship. Mm. For MKs going back to a monocultural setting, things are very different. You will meet, and then this is the way most of the rest of the world does things. You gradually, over time, weeks, months, years descend into meaningful authentic relationship mm-hmm. and MKs if you if you picture that graph again so you've got the MK diving deep and staying low and then this very slow descent into friendship of monocultural people mm-hmm. the frustration of that is huge and mm-hmm. MKs from from the depths of their relational model looking up at that slow descent think oh these people are so shallow and those people doing the slow descent into authentic relationship look at the MK and go oh they're way too intense like they are freaking me out mm-hmm. I didn't need to know all of that about them the first time we talked <laughs> yeah, yeah. so if we can convince MKs in their high school years in their in their youth before their high school years that just because people do re- relationships differently doesn't make it wrong and that if they invest over time gradually they will actually get to the relationship they're looking for that will change their re-entry into their passport mm. culture mm. wow one of the things i was uh i was honored to be <laughs> invited to speak to the seniors mm-hmm. last year not not all the seniors but i came and was kind of part of a panel for their um their pre-graduation orientation i think it's i'm not sure exactly what it's called but <laughs> Um, the seniors take a day to kind of go over some of the yeah. stuff that we've already been talking about, um, what it's like to transition yeah. to university, um, whether it's, even if it's here in Europe, you know, there's always a transition that happens. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I've learned from my life is, yeah, there were key people, like you were saying, that were harbors for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really was a church community that was the harbor mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And when these seniors are making decisions about their future it's all revolving around what college and what um, financial aid they can get and all of that and I think we forget how important it is Mm -hmm. to also consider is there a good community a church community that I can get plugged into Um, and that requires again a degree of humility and adaptation absolutely because there's no, not going to yeah. be a church in the passport culture that resembles what you've known overseas. No. So no. figuring out what your non-negotiables are for church and accepting that it's not all going to be mm-hmm. what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my, yeah, that's my biggest recommendation when I've mm-hmm. talked to random people is um, finding an older mentor person from, from that church yeah. and just plugging in. And yeah. uh, when I moved to Charlotte, that was one of the biggest pieces of feeling connected was jumping into a church small group mm-hmm. that there was one person there that had been in this area through missions but it was a I was the odd man out as far mm-hmm. as some 20 something single guy yeah. in a group of married people mostly with kids yeah. between the ages of two and five and I just said okay I need 
friends and yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tag along and they they welcomed me in but that. it took mm-hmm. effort and intentionality because it's they're not going to necessarily come to you the way that this yeah. community and does. overcoming hesitation yeah. right yep. I mean how many times if yep. I remember doing the same thing and how many times did I sit there going oh I don't know if I have the energy to do this yep. the bandwidth when you're transitioning so much of your bandwidth is taken up just from surviving yep. <laughs> the transition do I have it in me to put myself in an awkward social situation yep. do to it. invest in something do yeah. it over and yeah. over and over Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I found myself realizing I've never walked into a church where nobody knows who I am. Yes. Being a pastor's kid, yes. being a missionary kid, you're like you're the you're the pastor's kid. Yeah. Or you're the missionary kid. Like everybody knows who yeah. you are. And I didn't have to formulate a community around me. It was mm-hmm. kind of just handed to me mm-hmm. by my parents. And so yeah. walking in as a young college student and realizing, oh, this is how people feel when yeah. they come to church. Yep. You know, which was I'm like just one of the masses. Yeah, and it yeah. was it was so different for me. Um, but it was it was great to find little things that mm-hmm. reminded me of of other church experiences yeah. that I had. Something just really simple was um, getting plugged into the church that we were sent from. My wife mm-hmm. and I that that is our home church. Mm-hmm. I walked in and at that time they would set up a gym a middle Mm -hmm. school gym with chairs Mm -hmm. foldable chairs and all these things and it reminded me of the church plants that my parents were involved in having to tear down and set up every Sunday and all that (laughs) and that's the one thing that Mm -hmm. kept that brought me back the next Sunday and the next Sunday Mm -hmm. and then I just started to meet people and get plugged in but it was something that simple that made me feel comfortable it made me feel like this is not one of those plushy American churches that I had in my head right it was yeah it was something I could connect with so and give it time right it Mm -hmm. goes back to the relationship thing Mm -hmm. and and there will be times when you'll meet somebody who's monocultural who does relationships like you do Mm -hmm. Um, and that's great when that happens but even when when choosing a church to go back often enough and regularly enough Mm -hmm. that you start to know people and you start to deepen those friendships and Mm -hmm. um, just that recognition when you walk in on a Sunday it just takes commitment Mm -hmm. to establish that kind of belonging so you've always lived in Lebanon and coming here have you ever been asked about Lebanon uh, definitely, yeah. Um, I've been asked, if, is that even a country? Um, people don't know where that is. Um, I've been asked if we live in tents or ride camels to school. No, we live in actual houses. We go drive cars. Um. Your parents are Swiss and Lebanese, right? Yes. Okay. To you, what does it mean to be a missionary kid coming from a Lebanese context? Um, well, to me, it's just, um, I'm living in this country and I'm telling these people about Jesus, and that is my home now. Um, I'm going back there for university. I'm not planning on going to the States or anywhere else. Um, it's, it's where I grew up and, yeah, it's, it's where I belong, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you being a part of your parents' ministry, was that a forced thing? Is, do you feel... Like, what's your perspective on, on that? Um, it definitely was not forced on me. Um, I had the choice to help with them or not. But I voluntarily did that because I saw the goal behind it and I was, um, I was really encouraged and inspired to do it. And that's why I helped out and I was part of their ministry.
see lots of um, missionary kids that don't have the same perspective as me. I see many that are um, not Christians or they they have doubts um, that have turned them away from what their parents believe. And um, for me, it was rather the opposite. Um, um, seeing what my parents do and why they do it made me want to learn more about that and get deeper into the faith and search Jesus more. Wow. Yeah. How would you define being an MK in your shoes? Um, for me, it would be um, sharing life with other people of um, different backgrounds and different cultures and being able to bring them hope that they don't see in their religions or their cultures. And that just, um, it brings joy and it, it spreads love. So that's what it is to me. Coming to a very Christian saturated context do you feel wh where is it easier to be a believer where is it easier to be a Christ follower um, I kind of feel like it was easier over there because um, I saw how different everybody else was living and I wanted to be different and I wanted to be solid in what I believe and it, I just kept pursuing it more and more but I feel like when you're in a Christian environment it's kind of fades into the background a lot and it becomes secondary, which I'm working on. <laughs> yeah. What would be, what would be advice for parents as far as moving overseas for the first time mm. with younger kids where I, I moved over when I was 10 Yeah. and even between my sister and I, we had very different experiences yeah. of moving overseas and where I was, I was too young to fully understand and process and was very much a afraid of change and not wanting yes. change now i've kind of flipped to the other side but um how do parents help younger kids let's say elementary middle school age to prepare themselves for the tidal wave of change that yes. is coming and in some respects they need to figure it out for themselves yeah. but what can parents do to help them process yeah. through that without controlling yeah. too much it's such a delicate thing a few things number one give them lots of time um, don't decide three months before you're going to tell the kids that they're going. Um, a, ca a full calendar year is really important for closure, for doing all the lasts and mm. celebrating all the great stuff that they've loved. Um, so having a full calendar year before going overseas, but even in making the decision, giving the children a sense of what decision is pending and asking for their feedback. Obviously, you can't let a five-year-old decide whether you're going to follow a call <laughs> or not, but letting them be part of the processing, the praying with you, um, anything you can do to give them some more knowledge about the place you're considering going will help them with the processing. If you can do a vision trip and bring the kids along and have them see the places, if you can introduce them to peers who live there so they kind of know a couple people who are going there, anything you can do, and I think this is really important. There are some decisions that obviously they're not going to be in charge of, but if you can give them a selection of small decisions that they can be the deciders on, it will give them just a little bit of sense of autonomy. For instance, mm -hmm. we're moving to Italy, we're going to be in this city, we're gonna try this kind of schooling. These are the three apartments we found online and they're all really good. Which apartment do you want to live in? Mm -hmm. So they don't get to decide whether they're going to Italy or not. Hopefully you've <laughs> processed, it, processed it as a family. You've heard what they've had to say. You've done the yays and the yucks, and I can, I can um, expand on that a little bit more. But they do have a say into what apartment you're living in or what car you're going to buy or, um, I don't know, what TV they're going to get. Just something that yeah. gives them a sense that they've been heard and they've made a decision, and it's part of their life now. Mm -hmm. 
the yays and the yucks. Yeah. What are the yays and yucks? You all are going to get two rubber duckies, <laughs> both of your families. Um, it's rubber duckies. It has to do, it's a play on words. It's kind of tacky. Paradox, paradox. It's one of those. Okay. And um, each family gets two rubber duckies, and I encourage them to have the kids decorate them. So one rubber ducky is the yay ducky, so he's maybe got flowers and rainbows on him. And the other one is the yuck ducky, so he's not quite so happy looking. And then making it a pr- uh, practice as a family once a week or once a day or every day or whatever your, your family wants to do, to go around the table after a meal and each child and each parent holds both ducks and say, well, the yay from today was and the yuck from today was. So we're training them early to be able to express the hard Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. The teenagers I've worked with who have been the most troubled are the ones who were never given an opportunity to say this was hard and I didn't like it. Mm. So the yays and the yuck duck seems like such a simplistic way to approach it, but from a young age, it's something that gives them, again, that tangible thing that represents the yay and the yuck, and it avoids using words like good and bad. This was good and this was bad. Yay and yuck is more how you responded to it, and then you can work out kind of the moral um, piece of it separately. So. The paradox, paradox has been really useful for a lot of families, and I have a suitcase full of them whenever <laughs> I travel. <laughs> Thank you, Amazon. Here's this might be a little more of a difficult question, mm-hmm. but from your experience talking with parents mm-hmm. and MKs, what if there's a situation, and maybe this is for parents listening, where they do have a child that's very resistant mm-hmm. and mm-hmm is asking please don't make us yeah. go there or please don't send me or please you know and is it's the situation isn't really getting any better yeah um this is before they go before they go okay. uh yeah let's do before they yeah. go so that's a predicament i mean how do you how do you balance that with your call from yeah. the lord to serve in this yeah. ministry how does that how do you reconcile that there's so many different scenarios here with older teenagers um I would, I would pause. I really would. They're so much more able to analyze how things are going and, and what they're feeling and their emotions are so much stronger at that age um, that I would put a pause on it, get some family, um, get some input, some counseling, some, um, some just uh, advisory people that are feeding into it, connect those teenagers um, with others that they can be really bluntly open with, which they might not be with mom and dad. The problem with missions is that it's a call, right? So if you don't want the call, you're basically saying that God got it wrong. So mm-hmm. they might not tell mom and dad mm-hmm. really how they feel. Mm-hmm. With younger children, um, again, information, um, hands-on experience, if you can get them to that place. Um, make promises that you can keep um, if if they feel like they need to come back every summer because they don't want to lose their friends initially find a way to come back every summer and those friendships will change and might fade but when they still need them um, I would I would speak against saying let's just give it a year mm-hmm. so a lot has mm-hmm. to happen before you say that obviously a year is not long enough for kids to really experience what life overseas and in ministry is like and if they know it's only going to be a year they can float above the surface for a year they can just you know wait it out and then go back to what they wanted so a year is not long enough to establish kind of a baseline because the kids know that it's a year and they're just not going to even try Um, it's so complicated when kids aren't on board initially. And I really believe that God is bigger than, uh, what we think sometimes in terms of this, he can convince a four-year-old mind that it's okay and good for you to go, even though it might not be comfortable and it might be scary, 
mom and dad are going with you and God's got you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we need to stop with all of our human wrangling and really trust God and pray it through and let the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit convince the children, um, the children to go. At the same time, I would say always evaluate and assess how your children are doing. Mm-hmm. There is no people group I know of who is more intent on parenting their parents than young, young MKs. They don't want to add to mom and dad's stress. They don't want to make life more complicated for them. So if they're kind of feeling like they're imploding, they're not going to tell mom and dad. So mm-hmm. it really um, is incumbent on the parents to have a keen uh, sense of tuning with their children and to look for things that um, might be precursors to bigger issues so that they can be on top of it as it arises. Mm-hmm. One more thing I'll say about that is that the whole missionary community, it takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in my experience as a single woman in a place like BFA, I've discovered that I was often the one that the kids felt more comfortable coming to with some of their um, struggles or challenges. And then I was able to be the bridge between them and their parents. You know, let's go talk to your parents about this together. So sometimes you need to build that community around yourself, trusted people that you tell your kids, we trust them, you can tell them anything um, so that the kids have a place to formulate the words to kind of practice the words so that then they'll be they'll feel confident enough to try them on mom and dad um, even sometimes with the help of that external person if a family or a student or anything is wanting to get in touch with you what are what are some of the best ways to either read some of the stuff you've written yeah. or have you come and speak at yeah. some kind of organization uh, through my website michellephoenix.com okay. which will be linked um you can contact me through there um, a lot of my new articles get published um obviously on the website, but also on Facebook. There's a group on Facebook called the MK Hub that I started up, and the only thing that happens there is my new articles get published because all the algorithms have changed, and so people just following me aren't necessarily seeing Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So if Mm -hmm. you follow that group, you'll just see the new articles. If uh, somebody listening is an adult MK looking for a community to interact with, I also started the MK Lounge. Um, there are other MK sites out there that I found to be a little bit too contentious and sometimes too mm. toxic. So we started the MK Lounge where thoughtful conversation is prized is kind of the tagline. So we're about a thousand strong now, which is great. And people can, can join there. And, mm. and we talk just about kind of things that are related in some way to MKs, but it's just really thoughtful and, um, and fun too. Um, but it's a good, a good safe place for MKs to interact. I'm also on Instagram at I think it's Shell Phoenix or is it French Phoenix? It'll be uh, linked. Shell Phoenix, is it Shell Phoenix? Yeah. Um, Twitter, just a teeny bit, a teeny bit. But um, yeah, my website is the best way to contact right. me. Okay. Awesome. And I, I need to add, I am open to all invitations. A lot of people who are small groups, like last last week I was with a group of, I think it was eight or ten families in France. They hesitated to ask me because they didn't think there were enough of them. I love all sizes of interactions and conferences and, mm-hmm. and consulting. So don't hesitate to contact me, even if you don't think you're big enough or significant enough. And I need you to know that I never let finances stand in the way of um, speaking about MKs and helping people understand MKs. So contact me. We can work something out these are all good things mm-hmm. and i could go on for another five hours <laughs> I really appreciate it. i want to wholeheartedly thank the following students for contributing to this podcast we had emma a young Ann, sophia elijah emma w lauren gracie Jacob and Anais. Guys, we're so thankful that you have opened up your world to us and given us a little insight into 
what your lives are like. And I just want to remind you guys that God has set you on your unique journeys for a purpose and that he loves you very, very much. Thanks everybody for listening to the BFA Life podcast and we'll see you next time.